Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to know, <clears throat> welcome to know your Bible. Glad you're here today and hope that uh, my allergies don't bother us anymore today, but we're glad you're with us. Uh, what we do here is answer questions from our viewing audience. So you'll see a phone number and a website on the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. And we get some real specific questions. What's this verse mean or what's this doctrine about? Uh, we also get a lot of life questions. What's going on in someone's life or in the news? And what's the Bible have to say about that? We're happy to discuss any of those kind of things and see if we can find you a Bible answer. So let us know what you'd like us to talk about. And Toby and I will try to answer them. Good morning, Toby Levering. Good morning, Steve. Toby's here, and I'm Steve Tandy, and we're going to try to answer as many of your questions as we can today, but we always give you one to think on during the program, so here's your question for the day. Uh, what was Paul's occupation? The Apostle Paul had a job uh, that he worked at to support himself sometimes, so what did he do for an occupation? And we'll, we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program, see if you know. Toby got a little bingo question here to start things Well, I was going to phrase it a different way. I, we've been on the program a number of years. I've never had a senior housing question either. This is okay. a, viewer wants to know, uh, I live in senior housing, and I want to know if it's wrong to play bingo. Well, we, I, we're joking just a little bit there, but we do appreciate the question from this viewer and from all our viewers because uh, that's what Know Your Bible is about, life situations. And sometimes you just think of something, is this right or wrong? I've been doing it. Everybody else does it. But is what does God think about the matter? And I think that's a good heart, uh, a good place to ask. You know, the Bible does not mention bingo specifically or even really gambling uh, to a great degree. And so with those cases, when we come to something where it's not directly mentioned in the scriptures, where we can't find a command you know, condoning or condemning a practice, then what we have to do is step back and ask, is this wise? Is this beneficial? Uh, uh, does this uh, violate the conscience? And maybe you're asking because it does violate the conscience, in which case I would say that's probably a warning signal. Uh, but the Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he's speaking about how the freedom that we have in Christ. You know, we're not under the old law. We, we, we don't have the same uh, parameters. We're given a, a more liberty, which is a wonderful thing, but it brings with us uh, challenges uh, because you have differences of opinion on things. And Jesus, or, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, and this will not be on the screen, but just so you can read for yourself at home. He said, I have the right to do anything, and he's quoting the Corinthians there who were 
saying that to him. And he says, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, they wrote, uh, but not everything is constructive. Uh, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Boy, 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24 is a real good scripture to consider for a lot of things that we have and go through and, and experience in our world, in our daily lives. If we want to ask, really, what's best here? What's beneficial? What's wise? Uh, what is the best thing for my uh, godly example? Um, and so, you know, you have to weigh that for yourself. Uh, is, is playing bingo wise? Does it help me build relationships with other people? Does it is help in any sort of way? Is, or is it just something I do to fill the time? Is it, some, is it good stewardship? Uh, if I'm gambling, using the money, uh, is it, you know, do I have that money to, to, to gamble with? Uh, those kind of issues you have to think about in terms of wisdom. So, and the ultimate thing I would, I would go to in this scripture we will look at on the screen is just to consider your influence and example as a Christ follower. I'm assuming you are a follower of Jesus. You're seeking to honor Him, not just in your words, but in your life. Colossians 3.17, Paul wrote this, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Uh, personally, you know, I don't think there's a problem playing bingo. I think what, you're, what I'm assuming is you're saying, what about playing, paying money to, to play bingo? And you just have to ask, is that beneficial? Is it wise? And does it... Uh, could I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus? And you'll have to weigh those answers for yourself, but some things to think about. Okay, I don't know how it works in that senior housing situation, but uh, I know a lot of them just play bingo just for fun, yeah. just for something to do. And, yeah, uh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, but as far as I'm concerned, if you're not spending your whole Social Security check <laughs> yeah. on it and you enjoy it, I yeah. mean... Go have fun. But yeah. uh, there is a whole lot of difference between that and somebody that goes to the bingo parlor five nights a week and right. spends their whole check and yep. hopes they win something. That's a whole different ball game. But anyhow, I bet she'll make the right decision, whoever she is. Hope, hope they do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's a scientific sort of question. A viewer says, I heard that DNA proves that the Jews in Israel today are not real Jews. Is that true? Well, I am not familiar with that conspiracy theory or whatever it is. Uh, you can read all sorts of things about the Jews and the Jewish state and uh, all kinds of strange ideas, and I haven't heard this one before, but let's think through it, I guess. Uh, let me ask you this first. How far back can you trace your family tree and tie the DNA to somebody? Uh, I've gone back a long ways in genealogy. I can get back about 400 years, and I don't know if old John Tandy's DNA would match mine or not. Uh, I don't know how DNA works for sure, uh, but 400 years. Now let's think about 4,000 years. Well, that's about how long ago God picked Abraham and said he was going to be the head of a great nation. And a few generations later, Jacob came along, and he had 12 sons, and they became the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of them was Judah, and pretty soon they began to call all the children of Israel uh, Jews from the tribe Judah. 
And that group of people was a, a race, if you will, a nation more accurately. They all descended uh, from Jacob or later changed to Israel or back up a few years to Abraham. So they were all related in a, a natural way. And then they went into captivity. They got captured by Babylon and by Assyria. They got scattered over the world. They began to intermarry. Uh, some of them moved back to the promised land. Then the Romans took over and scattered the Jews again. Uh, they went all over the world. They intermarried. They converted people to the Jewish religion. And this went on for thousands of years. By this time, uh, to be a Jew <clears throat> is not just the, the nation or the DNA connection anymore. Now it's a religion. And in 1948, if you know your history, uh, the state of Israel was formed and Jewish people came from all over the world uh, to come back to what they call the promised land. Now those people that came back were of all nationalities, all races, they were of the Jewish religion, but not necessarily related to Abraham. So. If somebody checked today somehow and checked DNA and saw if there was any of Abraham or Jacob's DNA in there, uh, very likely not, but that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Uh, today Judaism is a religion. The people that live in the state of Israel are generally uh, members of the Jewish religion. Uh, but they're of all nationalities and tribes from all over the world. So uh, I don't know what our viewers heard or why that makes a, a difference, but I would agree that, no, they're probably, most of the people in Israel today are probably not related to Abraham by DNA proof. <laughs> <laughs> what do you Next got? question, a uh, viewer wants to know, did Mary have other children or more children, any more children than Jesus? And my answer to that is, yes, she did. In fact, she had several. Uh, the scripture is quite clear on that. And not uh, Jesus was her firstborn, obviously, but after that, she did have other children. And uh, we'll look at a couple of scriptures. You can look at it up at home and read on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. Uh, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And then in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, uh, similar verse, is not, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Uh, I know there are, are some groups that teach uh, that Jesus did not have any other, Mary did not have any other children besides Jesus, but that's simply not scripturally and biblically accurate. We look at a couple of verses that we looked at, and it's clear to see that Jesus did have brothers and sisters biologically, and of course he would later say uh, that those who obey him are his brothers and sisters in a spiritual sense as well. So I hope that clarifies. Good. Take this moment and then invite you to study the Bible with us in a little different way. Uh, you can ask questions and we'll get to them as quickly as we can. If you give us your name and address or your, preferably your email, uh, we'll get you an answer much quicker. But <clears throat> the Bible's got a lot more in it than we can ever answer, so we advocate some home Bible study. 
And we know that's hard for a lot of people to get started in home Bible study, but we've got some tools that we think are great ways to get started and form a habit of Bible study. This is the first course you see here. There are eight different lessons. The first two are the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, that's where you got to start. You understand those two big parts of the Bible, and uh, then you can go on and learn a few other things. After the first course, we've got these four courses that are more detailed and uh, take a little bit longer time. You can study for a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools, and all of it's absolutely free. All you have to do is use the phone number or the website and tell us you'd like it. Uh, we've also added some online studies, great way to study in a little different way. If you are uh, tech savvy and want to use your phone or your tablet or your PC and study the Bible that way, we've got some tools for you. So use that website right there and uh, tell us you'd like to get started on that. We'll find a way to get that done. Uh, studying the Bible is a good thing. We think it's the best thing that we can do with our time and uh, marking out a little bit of time each day or each week to spend on the Bible is a good thing. You'll learn a lot about uh, God and your relationship with Him. So give us a call, log on, let us know. We'll get you started. All right, viewer read one verse and wants us to talk about it. Paul said he was not called to baptize. So, is baptism not necessary for salvation? Well, there is a verse that Paul said that, and we'll go ahead and look at it just to prove that it's in there. 1 Corinthians one seventeen. Uh, Paul said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Okay, now, guess what's coming next? Context. <laughs> we always talk about context on this Bible. And when somebody gives you one verse, and it just sounds a little odd to you, uh, I mean, the New Testament's full of talk about baptism. Uh, Jesus and Peter and Paul and all of them told people to be baptized. Paul himself was told to be baptized to wash away his sins. And so all of a sudden, here's a verse that says, well, he didn't send me to baptize. And somebody says, okay, that means you don't need to be baptized. Well, that just doesn't, that doesn't pass the logic test, does it? So how do you solve that? Well, you read a little context. And it doesn't take much context to find out that actually this passage proves exactly the opposite. It proves that Christians were all baptized. Uh, so it is necessary. Okay, 1 Corinthians one seventeen, Paul said, Jesus didn't send me to baptize. What's he talking about? Go back a few verses. And he's talking about divisions in the church in Corinth. The Christians there weren't getting along, they were quarreling, they had different groups, and the reason they had different groups were some of them were following their favorite preacher. Some of them liked Paul, some of them liked Peter, some of them liked Apollos, and Paul says, that's a mess. He said, you weren't baptized into the name of Paul, so how can you say you want to follow Paul? He said, you were baptized in the name of Christ, and Christ isn't divided. So right there, he proves that everybody in the church at Corinth was baptized into Christ. And then he goes on and says, I'm glad that I didn't baptize any of you. So you could claim that you were a Paul Christian. Uh, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. Uh, other people baptized them, but Paul didn't do much of the baptizing. And he said, that's not my job. I didn't get sent to physically baptize people. I preached the gospel. 
And when you respond to the gospel, we know from the rest of the Bible that you're baptized. So, uh, yes, there is a verse that says Paul wasn't sent to baptize, but if you read just a few more verses around it, uh, you find out that, yes, everybody in Corinth was baptized, and Paul's talking about uh, cults of personality and favorite preachers and all that, and that's why he's glad that he didn't baptize many people in Corinth, but all of them were baptized. Okay, I hope you, that helps you understand Paul's one little verse it, it there. It's interesting, just like you say, there's so many <coughs> scriptures all throughout the New Testament that speak to <laughs> baptism, yeah. and it seems like people might have a small agenda, and they just go for one, don't pay attention to the context, and all of that. So well, con- that, one's, that one's a bit of a stretch, but yeah, yeah, that is a it, favorite of people that have been taught and raised and gone yep. to seminary yep. uh, to preach that uh, baptism's not necessary. Right. And we understand where that uh, teaching comes from, but there's just so much clear teaching, uh, just like there. Paul just assumed they all knew they had to be baptized. Right. You know? uh, that's what the whole passage is about, yeah. being baptized into Christ, and that's where all spiritual blessings are. Okay, right. we got off track a little no, bit No, that's there. okay. No, Go I ahead. think it's a good example of we. you have to take the Bible in totality and not just the scriptures you like and yep. and so we have to be what I call biblically honest so the next question is how do you explain God's drowning innocent babies during the flood well you know that that is a that is a difficult thing to think about uh, of course uh, I always seem like pictures of Noah's Ark and the flood and they're painted there with rainbows and the animals and people decorate their nurseries you know for their little children and so kind of get the cutesy side of the Bible story, but when you really think about the story of the flood, it's a terrible thing. I mean, it was the judgment of God on the entire world, and it wasn't a pleasant, uh, heartwarming scene. Uh, it was, uh, it was uh, absolutely a terrifying, terrible, uh, uh, awful thing to consider, uh, not just the death of uh, babies, but small children and and other people. But there was a reason for that. The story of God destroying the world by water, that's found in Genesis chapter 6, if you're not familiar with it. And when, if you think about, well, why would God do that? Someone, someone would think, maybe posit the question, why would a good God destroy the world? Well, it kind of comes down to what your definition is of good. God's good in the sense that He's holy and perfect and righteous and sinless, and He wants what's best for us. And He saw the beautiful, perfect world that He had created was now full of sin and everything that broke His heart and would not be in the best interest of mankind and made us worse made our world far from what God intended it to be. Now, when when you look at the story, you see this very clearly. Let's look at it on the screen. Matthew cha- I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Look at verse 11 of the same chapter. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. See, humanity, by their sin, brought the flood upon themselves. God did not send the flood because He was just uh, being capricious about it. He He was making a judgment that sin was it could not continue in its present state, and He needed to deal with that. And so what He did was bring down His judgment through the flood waters. Now, 
He didn't just pour forth his judgment and his wrath, that's true, but he also showed his mercy and his kindness by, by uh, redeeming a good, righteous man, Noah, and his entire family, uh, by giving him plenty of time to build a vessel of salvation. And uh, as much as we don't like to think about all of the people dying, I mean, uh, you know, the whole world drowned, essentially. Uh, we must understand that in this story we see the judgment and the wrath, wrath, but also the mercy and the grace of God. A couple of lessons for us here. Uh, our sin really has an effect. It affects us directly and indirectly. Uh, when we think about our modern world, uh, when a society promotes abortion, and we get into the culture of death, babies die and all human life is devalued. We get to a point where when you get to be too old, people will start to say, well, what use do you have? We should, you know, just uh, try to keep you comfortable and, and not worry if your life has any value or not. Uh, it, it gets pretty bad when a father or mother takes drugs uh, or meth, uh, not only with father and mother suffer, but their children will suffer. They might end up as orphans, might have to go to live with other families, might be forever uh, scarred by that. Sin has an effect both directly and indirectly. And so in this world and that world, the, the consequences of sin were both direct and indirect. And that's what we see happening there. Those children, of course, young babies, innocent, uh, but they were uh, feeling the consequences of the sin of their parents and their grandparents, and the, the whole world was corrupt. I I'm, have no doubt that decision was not made easily, but God still worked His mercy and grace in into it. And when you think about it this way, uh, because those innocent children and babies went straight into the arms of God, uh, God showed His mercy even in the midst of a terrible, totally sinful situation. So I hope that helps us understand a little bit. And uh, after that flood was over, God said, I'm never again going to destroy the earth uh, in that way again. So I uh, hope that helps. Read Genesis chapter 6 for more insights. Okay, we got a social media user here that says, Everyone says, OMG. Uh, isn't that using God's name in vain? Well, if we've got somebody that, out there that doesn't use social media, let me point out that OMG stands for Oh My God. It's shorthand, and you see it a lot on social media. Uh, I'm not sure everybody uses it, but it is pretty prevalent. And our viewer says, isn't that using God's name in vain, even though it's shorthand? Well, using God's name in vain means using his name in a useless way where you, where you don't really mean it. It's more about taking a vow uh, that I swear by Jehovah. And if you don't mean that, you're using his name in vain. But certainly we know using it in obscenity, uh, using God's name carelessly is disrespectful. Uh, using it without thinking is in vain. And OMG is, I'm sure, done without thinking. It's just something to say, and people don't think even that they're using God's name in some way there. But uh, that doesn't make it any less disrespectful. I'd say, yes, it's a bad idea. I don't think Christians should use that on their social media accounts and all that. Uh, one thing to consider is the Jews uh, held that command so special that they would never pronounce the name of Jehovah. 
Uh, they wanted to make sure they never used it in vain, and we've come a long ways from that today. Uh, so I'd consider that as a, a Christian social media user and stay away from those three little letters. All right, let me take a moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. We're uh, sponsored by Churches of Christ. I'd like to thank some of them each week. Let's mention a couple that are... Uh, out northwest of Wichita and where the program comes from, uh, the Eastwood Church of Christ in Hutchinson, Kansas, right across from State Fairgrounds, and the St. John, Kansas, uh, on North Pearl Street. A great bunch of people at both of those congregations, both of them longtime supporters of Know Your Bible. Uh, We appreciate them and hope that if you live in one of those communities, Hutch or St. John, uh, especially if you're looking for a church home, drop in and talk to them sometime. Uh, visit with them. If you know somebody that attends the Church of Christ in Hutch or uh, St. John, tell them, hey, I heard you about you on the TV the other day. I watched Know Your Bible and like that program. So uh, thank you to them and add your thanks to ours. All right. What you got, Toby, about... Uh, question, about, uh, just where is the scripture found? <laughs> Uh, where is the scripture that says no man can tell you what to eat or drink? Uh, well, that, that's not exactly what it says. Kind of uh, got a little more context than that. But I think the scripture you're referring to is found in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Uh, we'll read that on the screen. Uh, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. All right, so what what does this mean if you're just reading it and sort of haven't read Colossians before and don't really fully understand what Paul's talking about? Is, is The problem is, is that uh, Paul has had established this church at Colossae and and uh, he was supporting them and helping them and trying to help them mature and grow in Christ. But some false teaching, some heresy had crept in through false teachers into the church, and uh, it was mainly the heresy of Gnosticism, which allowed for elements of legalism, and you had to do certain things and keep certain rituals and keep certain rules. There was also people that had come out of Judaism that were used to that, and they they wanted to keep these as binding measures on new Christians, especially for Gentiles who had never celebrated these things, uh, and uh, they didn't know uh, it wasn't just a part of their life. And so they were trying to bind the old law, which Christ fulfilled, so that they didn't have to keep fulfilling that themselves. And Paul says, listen, you don't worry about that, essentially, verse 16, 7. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions about that. Uh, and don't worry, you're, your uh, connection with God is through Christ, and you've been set free from those things. So you don't have to worry about human judgment in those matters. So uh, Christ is our righteousness. We have to worry about the, the rules of the old law or any other heresies. Okay, okay, let's do this one quick. What does double-tongued mean? Well, that is found in 1 Timothy 3.8. So let's look at that verse together. <clears throat> Paul says, Deacons, likewise, should be dignified and not double-tongued. Well, we don't use that phrase today, but uh, today we would probably say something like two-faced, 
or hypocritical would be what that means. Uh, Double-tongued means saying one thing to somebody and something else to somebody else. You speak with two tongues, and that's hypocritical, two-faced, however you'd say it today. So uh, that's what that means, and a deacon and all Christians shouldn't be double-tongued. All right, let's uh, check out our trivia question today. What was Paul's occupation? He was a tent maker. Uh, when he wasn't preaching, he supported himself that way. We're glad you've been with us today and hope you come back next week for more questions. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.